Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we'll be discussing how we can traverse life's unavoidable storms by using the timeless teachings of the heart to deepen our roots and solidify our connection with spirit. I'm so delighted to be joined today by Mark Nepo. With over a million copies sold, Mark Nepo inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. Beloved as a poet, teacher, and storyteller, Mark has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time and an eloquent spiritual teacher. A best-selling author, he has published 23 books and recorded 15 audio projects. His most recent book, which we will be discussing today, is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Mark has appeared several times with Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday program and was part of Oprah's The Life You Want Tour in 2014. He has also been interviewed on Good Morning America and is a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine. Mark was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by Age Nation in 2015. In 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people and was also chosen as one of Oprah Winfrey's network's Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts and voices to elevate humanity. Mark teaches and offers online webinars around the world, and in particular, you should note that Mark will be offering a three-part webinar course on his book, Surviving Storms, which will begin February 4th. This is 2023 now, so February 4th, just a, a few weeks from now uh, of this year. For more information on Mark's courses, retreats, and books, you can visit his websites, marknepo.com and threeintentions.com. And for his current webinars, you can visit live.marknepo.com. You can follow him on social media for Facebook. He's at Mark Nepo. And Instagram, there's a space, Mark underscore Nepo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Mark Nepo. I am really delighted you could join me again on the Yoga Hour podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. So before we dive into our dialogue about storms, surviving storms and and building our roots and and wide trunks so that we can survive them let's begin with a moment of contemplation a yoga moment so let's begin right where we are whatever we're doing whether we're sitting, standing, walking, driving, and just bring our attention to our body in space, just feeling our body. Where are our feet? What part of our weight is supported on the surface on which we sit or stand? And then bringing our attention to the breath 
just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling that same air as it comes out, now warmed by the body. And just continuing to follow our breath, continuing to be right here, right now. Here's something to contemplate, a teaching from the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Whatever sorrow there is in life, whatever sickness there is, whatever hatred there is, whatever unrest there is, spirit is stronger. When we call it forth, the power of love will rise to meet any difficulty. Whatever sorrow there is in life, whatever sickness there is, whatever hatred there is, whatever unrest there is, spirit is stronger. When we call it forth, the power of love will rise to meet any difficulty. Oh. Once again, here we are, Mark. And again, it's so great to uh, have you here and to discuss your book, Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Here we are, the end of January of 2023, and as this year begins, it just seems like a, a really good time for this conversation, good time to review, to consider how we look at and how we deal with adversity in our own lives and in the world. Most of the listeners to this podcast are spiritual speaker, seekers, spiritual seekers, and want to know how we can contribute to a better life for ourselves and how to contribute to the greater good of our world as a whole. So let's start with the book. What inspired you to write this book at this time? Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, I, it began, I began before the pandemic, and when the pandemic hit, um, it just accentuated the kind of the archetypal patterns we all go through. You know, I was very uh, moved and struck by the fact that um, Every generation, I mean, this is particular to us. We had the pandemic. We have all the different things pressing on us. And yet, you know, and for my parents' generation, it was World War II. You know, every generation has something because what's in the way is the way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and much as we, you know, it's like gravity. I, I'm, not, not, I'm not like advocating difficulty. I'm just describing part of the the kind of spiritual physics, if you will, and and it's our turn. Every generation is faced with the, the, the central question of, will we choose love over fear? Will we choose working together over self-interest? Will we let in or keep out? And, and so, you know, the, the storms, both li literal storms, emotional storms, relational, cultural, they seem to be echoing everywhere. And, you know, I, I was very struck at the beginning of the pandemic 
Um, and I think I've talked to other people who've been through, you know, I years ago, um, over 30 years, 35 years ago, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma, which changed everything. And, and at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a moment that particularly came back to me. I was so surprised. And it was the moment I was diagnosed. Um, and I had, I was in my 30s and I went to a doctor because I had a huge growth on my head, <laughs> which no one could explain. And, um, and I sat there and I was told that, uh, you know, I probably had cancer. And of course, I was terrified and upended and uh, wanted to say, are you sure you have the right folder? Could you check again? <laughs> right. but, but the moment was that when I got up, and left that appointment, the door I had come through to keep that appointment was gone. Mm. There was no way back to life before that appointment. Mm -hmm. And I think it came back to me because I felt suddenly and deeply that the pandemic has done this for our global family, right. humanity. The old world is gone. There's no going back, whether we want to deny it, you know, blame, be angry at somebody for it, reject it, whatever it might be, it's gone. Yeah. In denial, and the only way is to love each other forward, mm -hmm. is to understand how difficulty shows and what the teach. You know, one of the things I love so much in the Hindu tradition is is Ganesh or mm -hmm. Ganesha, some people say. But, you know, Ganesh is the uh, provider and remover of obstacles. Mm -hmm. So in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we, we, you know, we always turn to someone to say, Gail, please get me out of trouble. <laughs> and, but in the Hindu tradition, Ganesh not only removes the obstacles, but provides them, which tells us that obstacles are teachers. Mm -hmm. And we need to, the only way is through, and the only way is together. I think this raises a, a central paradox about life, and that is no one has ever been here who's you. No one can see what you see or feel what you feel or face what you have to face. And the other side of the paradox is no one can make it alone. And in fact, I think one of the modern psychological diseases is when we think we can make it alone right there's almost a cultural you know <laughs> there is a cultural thing what is it yeah. is the song uh was it frank sinatra song i did it my way yeah you know, exactly. the marlboro man you know it's a, the real cultural thing it's like uh you know it's uh you know all we need you know we just rely on ourselves and and kind of in in uh, polar opposite to that i love Thich Nhat han i forget his the te the name of the teaching but it's that everything is related so you know he holds up the piece of paper you know and it's like okay what you know how did this piece of paper get here and it starts with the clouds and the rain you know for the tree you know <laughs> rained on the trees you know yes, so yes. so in other words like that paper could not have gotten there without all of these you know different steps and without a without a world without a community without a world without the knowledge of how to make you know the pay all of that stuff goes into it so it's actually it's almost ludicrous when you think about that to think oh i did it myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're humbled. Great love and great suffering make us remember yet again that we're more together than alone. And we are, in fact, 
interdependent, not independent. Yeah, right, right, absolutely. So I, I've been reading your book as part of the preparation for our conversation, and I, I just would say it's it's so delightful. I, I just love the the lyrical beautiful lyrical quality of your writing and and the way that you describe situations it's called surviving storms this book and the storm imagery kind of permeates you know the book you return to it again and again and just in just beautiful ways at the beginning of the book you write the reason heart work is so important in surviving storms is that as a tree needs to deepen its roots and widen its trunk to endure the force of unexpected storms, we need to know our true self so we can deepen our roots and solidify our connection to all spirit and all life. Then we too can endure the force of unexpected storms. This is especially relevant now, you write. And I just love that. I, I picked up on that imagery when I was introducing our, you know, conversation because I just, I just, that was so meaningful to me about what we need to do, you know, both the width of our, of our, uh, you know, uh, trunks and the depth of our roots that that's what, you know, we're calling. And, you know, the subtitle is finding the strength <clears throat> to meet adversity <clears throat> of your book. And anyway, I just, I just love the whole thing. So you write about heart work. Would you say more about the heart work that we need to do to accomplish this? Yeah, and so so I would say, and let me back up just a second, is that that you know that metaphor from the trees. Uh, when I discovered that, uh, it became a central teacher for me and for the entire inquiry of the book. And what it translates to, which then goes to heart work, is that how we do this is very is very personal. It's deeply universal, but it's personal. There's no, you know, that everyone, this is what it means to inhabit, discover and inhabit a personal spiritual practice, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels genuine and real to, to any person listening or watching us. And, and so how do we discover that that's the heart work? That's the heart work is by being and I, and I think it, it comes down to me by an ongoing practice of always returning to, because we're human and we kind of get knocked sideways and fall down and, you know, but returning to be wholehearted when we're half-hearted, returning to be present when we're distracted, returning, leaning in, to what is before us when pain and fear and anxiety push us away. The, these are the constant, you know, so I know that when I am struggling in any way, as hard as it is, because I feel like, you know, we all feel this urgency to address the problem. Well, I feel my spirit tells me, stop and give my full attention to the nearest piece of life to me until it becomes my teacher could be a fly on a window <laughs> everything from that web of connection that we were mentioning everything has a kinship and a a resilience to offer us if we're present to it if we're willing to listen and and listen with our heart 
beyond our conclusions. You know, I, I, I'm so blessed. To, I so love teaching and being in circles and groups with people. And, you know, I had one uh, group where I, uh, you know, in the last year or so, and um, where I offered a story and we were discussing the story and uh, a wonderful woman in the group was puzzled by the story, you know, and and finally she said, you know, I I have I have I have problems with that story. And I said, I invited her, I said, well, instead of trying to bend the story to fit your worldview, I invite you to be in conversation with what is new or jarring to you until you can open your heart and incorporate the story mm-hmm. and expand your worldview. Mm-hmm. This, and, and I'm not being critical of her, it was just in a, a moment, we all do this, and this is part of the heart work. Mm-hmm. This is part of the heart work, not to make everything fit us. You know, we have, uh, as we were you know, talking earlier, I mean, there's just two great examples, you know, that, that we struggle with as human beings. And, you know, one is represented by uh, Columbus, who, you know, the audacity to come from Europe, step foot on a continent that ha- had life and people and civilization for a thousand years, and to stand on the shore and say, this is mine. Yeah. There, you know, just inherent toxic problems right from the start. And and the opposite of that is Carl Jung, who stepped foot on the shore, the continent of the unconscious. And his first impulse was to say, I think I belong to this. Mm-hmm. And I raise that because we, being human, we have both impulses in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do we return, you know, when we uh, struggle with this sense of wanting to say something is mine, how do we back, deepen and open our heart and say, wait a minute, what, what, how do I relate to everything, lar- you know, how a tree relates to its roots is it's relating to everything larger than itself. And that's the key to our heart work. Mm. That's the key to our heart work. How do we open up and say, no, 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 no. What do I belong to? What am I a part of that's larger than me? Right, right. So um, this brings me to something that I I, I wanted to ask you uh, to read. Oh. Uh, which you write you write about um, in the book about you know grief and loss, which of course when we're talking about storms in our lives or you know in the world, um, often that accompanies uh, loss and and grief. Uh, maybe even always, you know, that when there's a storm, there's some kind of loss, you know, and, and there may be a need to grieve that loss. So you write, there is an irrepressible challenge and joy in letting all things be true, not swinging from one pole of human experience to the other, but letting the heart absorb and integrate everything until it releases a deeper logic of spirit. 
Um, and you wrote a, a beautiful reflection, a poem about the moment of grief after your father had died, the same season that you had also lost your beloved dog, Mira. Um, yeah. And I, I was very touched by that poem, and it's called Adrift. It's on page seven of your book. Would yeah, you read that? Yeah, or I, if you want to say anything else about it? Well, I just want, I just want to – I appreciate you opening that up because, again, this is where, you know, we struggle. Human beings, we have this amazing gift, the mind. It's a great tool, and it, it, its inclination is to sort, prioritize, and choose. But – and that's a great skill to have to navigate the surface reality of life. It's not a philosophy to live by. And I have found, as you mentioned there, that the great lessons in life have come to me when I have been stopped and asked to let everything in, to absorb and integrate, not to sort and choose. And that's, again, where the heart work comes in. So this was a deep period of grief and it was a beautiful day in summer. I was on our deck right here in the back of our house and glorious sunshine. And I just fell into the depth of that grief. And through no wisdom on my part, I was exhausted. I couldn't choose between them. And so I had to feel them both at the same time. And they became this great instruction. And what led to was this poem called Adrift. Everything is beautiful, and I am so sad. This is how the heart makes a duet of wonder and grief. The light spraying through the lace of the fern is as delicate as the fibers of memory forming their web around the knot in my throat. The breeze makes the birds move from branch to branch as this ache makes me look for those I've lost in the next room in the next song, in the laugh of the next stranger. In the very center under it all, what we have that no one can take away and all that we have lost face each other. It is there that I'm adrift, feeling punctured by a holiness that exists inside everything. I am so sad and everything is beautiful. And so what's important here, and I share this because it's not just about the creative process. I have found the creative process is the same as the introspective process. I just happen to write it down. Mm -hmm. And so when I followed the truth of that moment, it led me to that insight that in the very center under it all, where what no one can take away and all we've lost face each other there i'm adrift feeling punctured by a holiness that exists inside everything i didn't know that and say oh wouldn't that be a good place to end the poem no i discovered it mm -hmm. and then it became my teacher mm -hmm. and again i share that because that is how that also is how heart work works we follow through our authenticity the truth of a feeling, a wonder, a joy, a pain, a loss. And if we're true to that feeling or that question or that confusion, we are rewarded with an insight that will be a teacher for us if we can stay with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I just, there was something about the, the holiness of everything. And in another part of the book, you talk about um, walking, walking uh, after a storm. And I think this was when you also were, you know, in your cancer journey and all these trees that had beautiful leaves, just like the day, you know, before um, had been knocked over. Uh, and I think you write about it as like a battleground, you know, of all these trees that had fallen and how um, you ne they needed, because they held on to their leaves, which were incredibly beautiful, but then they couldn't withstand the, the storm, all of the weight of the snow, you know. That, yeah, you so, know, so actually that moment happened at a crucial, during my journey at a crucial time when I was struggling with decisions of whether to accept treatment or not or surgeries and i was it was very difficult and i'll never forget it was october 4th um in 1987 and it was a storm that was yeah the trees were just full foliage and it was an early uh heavy heavy blizzard and yes because and so the lesson was that no matter how brilliant because the trees held on they came down mm -hmm. and it taught me that no matter how brilliant no matter how hard or whatever research i would do or or whatever i would do one of the only ways to survive this storm of illness was to let go to let through mm -hmm. and it was shortly after that that i had a dream where you know during my my journey i was visited twice um in a dream by Tu Fu, who I've always loved. He's the great Chinese poet from the Tang Dynasty from the 700s. And in this dream, right shortly after that storm, I because I was terribly afraid. I was afraid of everything. And, and in the dream, he was sitting on a beach with a stick in the sand, cross leg, just me. And I saw him and I ran up to him and said, how do I block the fear? And he ignored me, which really got me upset. And I got closer and I said, how do I block the fear? And without looking at me, he raised the branch above him and he said, how does a tree block the wind? And with that, he disappeared. And I woke up. And the profound lesson again to follow up with the trees in the storm was a tree doesn't block the wind, it lets it through. The, you can't block the fear you have to let it through mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so going back to earlier in the book you spend the first part of the book really talking about some universal challenges that you have observed that we're facing at this time and and the roots of some of them and i i was i was uh struck by a couple of things that you said um in terms of you know for example uh social media um, you were talking about how uh, if you uh, how it's it's further com compartmentalized our our bubbles um, and how if you are um, if you are looking for a definition of, for example, the term climate change, depending on what social media knows about you, you will get two different definitions, you know, yes. so, you know, one will say um you know you if you if the if the uh social media has you know has uh compartmentalized you into more of a of a uh you know progressive uh category it'll be something about you know this grave crisis that's facing the earth i'm just 
you know, I, I'm just doing this from memory. So you probably, you know, <laughs> exactly. But then if you're, if you're, you know, if you're more, um, you know, a, a conservative, it will then t talk about it being a hoax. And so it's, it's, it's this compartmentalization that we have this further compartment that separates us. And then even just technology and how technology is sort of a, in this mind, you know, where not only is our, our information systems, are they separated, you know, from each other. So it yeah. kind of separates us from, from, from humanity, from the whole, but so also, also that, that, um, you know, it, it separates us from ourselves because it's, it's taken away our ability to re be reflective and, um, you know, it, it, all of our spare time is kind of sucked into this black hole, you know, of, of a screen. Anyway, I kind of got yeah. carried away on the question there, but, but no. um, why did you, why did you think it was important to start there with, with kind of, well, I, I was, I was, I, you know, I've been troubled like everyone else as to the, the acuteness and stridency and estrangement of our age. Again, every age has it, but we have a particular hard case of it in the world right now and i was really like troubled as to how did we get here and it's only my guess you know i looked back as far as far back as our original sin in this nation of slavery when the founding fathers who were you know just men not gods and while while imagining the greatest experiment of society in terms of freedom, a free society, while still owning other human beings. Now we've never resolved that tension to this day, and and that's an estrangement, you know. And we've been struggling ever since then, over 400 years ago, between loving the world and bending the world to our will. Okay. And so all these things have have over time the next place that, that we go back to is the industrial revolution in the 1800s and what that's and, and all of these things have 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 combined into a perfect storm if you will cultural storm that has disconnected us our direct connection from life and each other and ourselves which is so important that we restore so let me take a moment or two and just so some of these things outline a little bit um, where where we where we are. So the Industrial Revolution, and this was some important things happened before this. Most you know most societies were agrarian. Mm -hmm. People lived on farms, and where you worked and where you lived was the same place. Mm -hmm. There was relationship to the earth, to the work, and to family it was all concentric. Well. You know, the Industrial Revolution came and now there were factories and for the first time people left home to work. They spent a good deal of their life away from, so the home was broken and connection with the land was broken. So it's not that we should do away with progress, but we must understand the cost of progress. So then we, you take, and this is where I refer to Karl Marx because, you know, Marx, who I think has been given a bad rap uh you know marx didn't create marxism dictators did marx was a uh, an insightful sociologist yeah. who made some pretty astounding uh, observations about progress and culture and society and in 1844 at the time of all this he observed he could see where this was going you know not only he observed that 
that were we moving away from from home to work but what you were asked to do was partial work before everything you worked on was an entire process you were connected to wholeness whether you made something from beginning to end whether you repaired something from beginning to end whether you you know uh, planted and went all the way to harvest but now you were you went to a shoe factory and you only made the laces and so while that served efficiency it's another way that you were disconnected from the whole of life and what he saw was that progress the industrial revolution would separate people from their basic human nature and when he said when you have enough people separated from their basic human nature you will have an alien nation and he coined the term alienation he in fact he didn't say do away with progress he tried to imagine the first generation of therapists as alienists he called them because their job would be to restore people to their basic human nature well don't we need that today don't we need that sorely today? So this has been lingering. Now you fast forward to our our social media. And of course, the pandemic has heightened our isolation. But in the social media, yes, the algorithms all out of greed and where I, you know, I point people, refer them to this documentary, The Social Dilemma, where several of the kind of tech geniuses who it's kind of like a Frankenstein story who had created these platforms like Facebook and Google and all these different things. And then they realized they created a monster and they, they quit and they made this to this documentary, which is profound, which shows that all these algorithms are all set to isolate you with your own preferences in order that you will buy more, keep clicking more, 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 more. And so this, you know, and so, yes, one of the things about technology, even not just social media, but, you know, these are all tools. There's nothing inherently bad about them. But this is, again, is if we don't have an inner life, not that we have to have things figured out, then the way water will fill a hole, the characteristics of our age will fill us. And then we're split. We're not where we are. You know, uh, you know, there's a, a term young people use fear of missing out. You know, this has been a menacing assumption from the beginning of time. It's just much more accentuated today yeah. that we think when, when we think life is other than where we are, yeah. it's toxic, it's life training. So this sense, you know, yes, when we are with technology, we think we're alone. But we are not with others and we are not alone. We are in a nether, a techno nether world. And, you know, this reminds me, there's a profound line that the great poet Rilke had in one of his poems. He said, I am alone, but not alone enough to make every moment holy. Mm. I am alone, but not alone enough to make every moment holy. And so I think, so, so let me skip here to um, the, the trouble in our age, you know, I, I think of that, the insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol here in America. And, you know, I saw that live, like so many people on TV, and, and, and forget the politics of it all. What was stunning and, and so disturbing to me is that here I was witnessing barbaric violence, while at the same time people 
were taking pictures of themselves. They were dissociated as if they couldn't tell, was this real or were they in a video game? And so I, I, you know, we, all the traditions in different ways, all the meditation practices, all the things like yoga, all the, th th all the arts actually are, are all offerings in, in our returning us to, to a direct connection to life. Because when we have a direct connection to life and how rare it is to be here, then we have a reverence for life. And if you have a reverence for life in your heart, this is heart work, you can't do harm. So this tells me that all of those people had lost their direct connection with life. So I think one of the restorative things, and we all have to do this in an individual way, as well as together, how do we restore our direct connection of life? So we can regain our reverence for life and for each other. And I think that, you know, if I... If I put my hand, you know, we have all the this de degradation of reality that has also gone on. You know, I also talk in there about the kind of evolution in the last 50 years, 70 years of reality TV. That's right. Before you go there, let me just break yeah. in and just remind listeners that uh, I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the Yoga Hour. And today I'm here with Mark Nepo, renowned spiritual teacher, poet, and author of 23 books, including the book we're discussing today, Surviving Storms, Finding Strength to Meet Adversity. Mark will be offering a three session webinar based on this book, Beginning on February 4th, 2023, you can find out more about Mark and his program at the website marknepo.com. We will also be posting links on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website at theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. So, Mark, to get back to uh, to what you were saying, I had to break in there for a minute. No, that's all right. Well, so add to this kind of perfect storm of isolation and estrangement, um, this degradation of reality over the last 50 to 70 years. So, you know, you, we had in the, in the beginning, you know, movies, theater, you know, everything offered us stories that we knew weren't real as a way to better understand our own reality right we, this is what we would you know the 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 word theater goes back to the greek and it means the seeing place mm. and we can act out and inhabit the joys and troubles of our life we can see better so so that became then you know then the reality TV starts to creep in where we, it's just anything but real, where we are invited to uh, participate in things that are not real in a vicarious way. So whatever it might be, fear factor, survivor, the apprentice, uh, you know, the amazing, you, you na name it, I don't need to single any of them out. Uh, but they all are asking, they're giving us the illusion, just like when we're with our, our cell phone alone or our iPad, we're not really alone. Well, when we're attending these shows and we even get to vote, American Idol, The Voice, as if we're in relationship and we're not. 
So we expend all this energy and then we turn the TV off and we're still alone because we haven't, we haven't uh, taken a real risk. You know, Carl Jung, one of the profound things he said, he said, neurosis is a substitute for legitimate suffering. So this, you know, so, so let's pause here for a minute, you know, in Roman times, I make this reference in the book, the, the, the Roman Colosseum was consciously constructed to dissipate rebellious energy of the masses. So they would invite people for free, come watch all this bloody, gory, sensational, watch lions tear Christians apart, watch gladiators fight to the death. And people would just like watching Fear Factor or whatever, you know, people would get all charged up and expend all their energy. And then they'd go home and they had no more energy to demand a better life. Okay. Now, reality TV, I don't think, while the Romans deliberately conceived of that, I don't think anyone conceived of this in our age, but reality TV culture has become inadvertently our virtual coliseum. Okay. Our virtual coliseum. So, so then you look at the, this degradation of reality, you know, Ronald Reagan perhaps was the first actor who became president. Right. Right. And Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jesse Ventura and the governor of Minnesota wrestler became you know, so. But what was but at least in those early vestiges, they put down the world of acting and, quote, pretending. In order to try to serve in the real world. Right. And then we start to have a confusion about what's real and what not. And right. now we fast forward to Trump. We're not that where we've gone full circle and insidiously he is consciously trying to install falsehood as truth. Yeah, right. So we all are left with no. OK, if I put my hand in water, I don't need you to tell me it's wet. Right. Yeah. Likewise, I know what love is. I know what pain is. I, there are facts. Now, I we can acknowledge the truth of what pain is. Now, why I'm in pain and how I came to be in pain is something that we can interpret and discuss. But there are facts and we need to recover through heart work. Our direct connection with life and our reverence with life so that we can show up for each other. Yeah. I wanted to get back to something you you uh, just sort of briefly touched on because I, I was very struck about this in the book about the this rare opportunity that we have to be here. Uh, you write in a chapter titled The Purpose of Goodness about how mm. unlikely it was that we are here at all, given that at the very beginning uh, matter only outlasted antimatter by perhaps one atomic speck. And if that one atomic speck had not been there, then the entire universe would not, you know, would not be here. Um, you also write about the location of Earth just so happens that if we were closer to the sun, uh, their water would have evaporated if we were farther from the sun. Uh, water would have frozen, so it would not have supported life. So you write, remarkably, we are here by the one gesture that outweighs all the rest. 
And this process is never done. That one gesture has to be enlivened and reasserted every day. This is the purpose of goodness, to outweigh all the other possibilities by one gesture of care so that life will continue. We are challenged to be that one positive ion of energy, the one photon that ensures that all life will have its chance. And I just thought that was, it was just so, so beautiful. Um, there is a tendency to feel helpless about everything that's going on in the world, um, about these, you know, major things. Um, but you say there are, uh, every day there are countless gestures that keep the world going, which are anonymous, but deeply essential. So it, this perspective yeah. I just thought was so hopeful and so empowering. Um, and it reminded me of, of um, what you talked about, which I hadn't been aware of, that after January 6th, there had been a whole army of volunteers that came forward to clean everything up. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can start there, but you know, how, um, well, so yeah, so let me thank you. I think it's so profound and, 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 you know, the, my coming to this understanding really, you know, the, the physics of that, I was really uh, citing some, some of the work of Neil deGrasse Tyson, the, our contemporary physicist, who's the director of the Museum of Natural History in New York City. And, and I was contemplating, he was talking about his, from his school of physics that, that the, this, their estimation that this is how the universe came into being when there was one positive speck, photon, as opposed to antimatter, a hadron, boom. And so I was, you know, I was walking around and I was struck as we were talking here, as you said, you know, how we're here by just one small gesture. And I was, I think I was in the line at the pharmacy reflecting on this when all of a sudden it just hit me that this is not how the universe began, that it is an ongoing creation. And every day in order for life to keep going, we need that one gesture of goodness. And it and we'll never know if it's the gesture that we make or not. But but when you stop to help a woman who dropped her groceries and fell down in the parking lot, that may be the one gesture that keeps life going for today. And, you know, Mother Teresa said that courage is doing small things with love. And, and, and I want to also say here that it, it is, it's overwhelming to look at these things, but it has to be at a step at a time, an ion at a time, a, a heart, a heart arc at a time. And, and so if we look at, if we look at like, like my body, my physical body, your body, if we have one more healthy cell than toxic, right. we're considered well. We'd like a lot more, but as long as we got one, we're considered well. So I invite us to think of humanity as a global body, and every soul is a cell in that body. And in addition to things that we address in, in specific time, having conversations like this, the work you're doing with the yoga hour, the, the, the anonymous goodness people are doing, even, even our introspection of authentic inner work helps keep humanity healthy. You know, in the, in the Middle Ages in Europe, which we call the Dark Ages, the rest of the world was pretty enlightened in the, mid, in the Middle Ages, actually. 
<laughs> we in our self-centeredness, we want to call it the dark. Well, it was just in Europe, okay? But in Europe, only 10% of the European population was literate. They kept literacy alive for over 300 years. And so when we are awake, because we take turns today, when we are awake, it is incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive. Beautiful, beautiful. And I think this this touches on this next question that I was going to ask you. So we've talked about these, you know, perhaps you could call them random acts of kindness, you know, that being that one positive act that we'll never know, you know, if that, if that you know, what difference that made. Um, and there's also inner work, this inner heart work. So why is our inner hard work, you write about it as being uh, mattering more than ever. So why, why do you think that? I mean, I agree with you here. <laughs> we well, we because, encourage people to have a meditation practice, yeah. you know, and practice uh, the yoga principles, uh, ethical ways of relating to each other and all. But from your no, perspective. Inner, inner work is inextricably connected to service. Mm-hmm. Right. So a couple of things to say about that, to offer what, you know, and a great way in is, to quote the great Hindu sage Ramana Maharshi, he said, to try to save the world without first liberating yourself is like carpeting the earth rather than wearing sandals. (laughs) And, you know, so even meaning well, we can do good poorly. And that's why inner work, you know, in Dante's Divine Comedy, there was a ring in purgatory for people who did good poorly. Mm-hmm. They weren't in hell because they did good, but they weren't in paradise because they did good poorly. Mm-hmm. And so we are challenged to listen to each other, to not impose on each other. You know, Cicero, Cicero had these six mistakes of habitual thinking he he referred to and one of them which is very important was our insistence on imposing on others how to live so yes we think we know what's good for someone else rather than asking you know this raises a a very profound kind of and again it's it's under as human beings you know we tend to love in the way we'd like to be loved and without inner work that's okay but without inner work and inner awareness we do good poorly so you know i remember i learned this in a very poignant moment in in uh, a previous marriage, my previous in-laws who are both gone now, they were farmers, farming couple, been on, lived their entire lives on an upstate New York farm that they were born in. The, the Donald was the husband. And, and, um, and I, when Donald's sister in her early 80s, uh, she was in the hospital, she was dying, and he was a very taciturn farmer. You know, he didn't say much. Well, all of a sudden, he was very vocal, insisting that she not be left alone, that we take turns in the family being with her around the clock in the hospital. 
And I realized in that moment that that's what he wanted when it was his turn. No one asked her sis, his sister. She might have wanted to say, leave me alone. I need space. <laughs> right. And so I realized, I learned from him, not blaming him, uh, that, oh, yeah, we all love in the way we'd like to be loved. And inner work is important so that, okay, that's how I would like it. What do you need? Tell me what's going on in you. How can I best help you? So this is a great example of how inner work and service are linked. So you write that our inner well-being depends on our continual awareness that life is not just what is happening to us. Essentially, each moment is a practice ground for us to come alive by removing whatever grows in the way. Would you say more about that? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, another thing that we do as human beings, which is understandable, and so not to blame, but to course correct, and that is that we tend to extrapolate what we're going through into a worldview. That is, if I'm afraid, I make the world a fearful place, and I develop a philosophy based on fear. If I'm broken, I see the world as a broken place. If I've been betrayed, now the world isn't trustworthy, and I develop a philosophy, and I, you know, and the truth is that all things are true, all things aren't fair, all things aren't just, but all things are true. And so I learned this in a moment during my cancer journey, in a very difficult moment when I had a chemo treatment horribly botched and I was in a holiday inn outside of New York City, uh, three weeks after I had a rib removed from my back and getting sick, throwing up every 20 minutes and not knowing what to do, being terrified, eventually went to the emergency room. But as, as dawn was coming and I was slouched in this holiday inn room, for some reason, probably because I was exhausted to maintain the patterns of my thinking, it occurred to me that while this was true for me, this was not happening everywhere. That somewhere as the sun was coming up, a couple were making love for the first time. Somewhere a child was being born. Somewhere nearby, a, an estranged parent and adult child were sitting and finally talking to each other. And so I discovered in that moment that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And since I've come to understand, while when I'm afraid, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be afraid, I need everything safe to heal. When I'm broken, while I need the company of those who know what it's like to be broken, I need everything whole to heal. And so while we rightly talk about ethnic diversity in our modern world, it is all built on the, the, the majestic and mysterious diversity of life is where resilience comes from. Thank God everything wasn't like me in that room in that moment because we take turns being broken and being broken open. And so when I'm just broken and you've been broken open, you can help me because we'll switch. Yeah. We'll switch. Yeah. That's, it's just really, you know, beautiful.
unbelievably, we're just about at the end of our time. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to give you a chance uh, to, to just in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I, I would I would invite every that everyone our, our heart is our greatest teacher and our strongest muscle. And I encourage everyone to become intimate with the workings of your heart. To stay in conversation with life through your heart. And so I would I would uh, leave our conversation for now with this small poem of mine. It's just one stanza and it goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Wow, would you say that one more time? The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. So beautiful, it's such a beautiful place to, uh, to end our conversation. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been Mark Nepo. Mark is a renowned poet, spiritual teacher, and author of 23 books, including the book we've been discussing today, Surviving Storms, Finding Strength to Meet Adversity. Mark will be offering a three-session webinar based on this book beginning in very shortly here, February 4th, 2023. You can find out more about Mark, his teaching schedule, and the webinar at his website, marknepo.com. You can also check our website, theyogahour.com, where there will be links to all of Mark's uh, information and website. So thank you once again, Mark Nepo, for joining me on The Yoga Hour. Oh, a blessing to be with you. Thanks so much. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, CSE is offering daily online meditation in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., the afternoon at 4 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a word meaning gathering of truth seekers. It happens at 10 a.m. each week. All of those are Pacific time. Yogacharya O'Brien also offers another podcast called Kriya Yoga Today, which includes presentations from classes and talks she has given. You can access this through the CSE website at csecenter.org or wherever you get your podcasts. There will also be an upcoming silent meditation retreat with Yogacharya O'Brien March 30th through April 1st. It will be offered on site at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. You can find out more about these classes and events at csecenter.org. Join us next time on the show when I'll be joined by Kate Johnson, author of Radical Friendship, Seven Ways to Love Yourself and Find Your People in an Unjust World. We'll be discussing how deep friendship can offer healing and transformation for ourselves and for the world. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to the show, and we love it when you do. And if you like the show, talk about it with a friend. Thanks to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, 
You carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.